Hi, I'm Rick Ryman, host of Audibly Speaking, a show on the stories behind the stories of our time. By sounding out on these stories, we give voice to them and hear them for the first time. From the news of the day to history and literature, from audiobooks to leaders on the stump, we examine the backstories of our time, audibly speaking. This is a reflection on the new film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which of course is the latest and supposedly the final episode in the long-running series of Indiana Jones movies that began in 1981. The movie is a success, in my opinion, on a number of levels, even though it has been excoriated by many reviewers. Many reviewers have criticized the use of CGI to de-age Harrison Ford and the wooden character that results in the early scenes of the movie. Some people have complained that there are too many action scenes and too little plot. Other people are excited by the action scenes because, as Steven Spielberg once said, the movie is like a long trailer. Every part of the movie is supposed to be some form of action. But other critics point out that movies aren't just trailers. They're different things. A trailer is one thing. A movie is another. And Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, this latest entrant in 2023, does seem to be a very, very long trailer at about 150 minutes. But I will say that it is probably the 150-minute movie that, in my experience, in my lifetime, seems to be the shortest movie for such a movie of that length. In other words, I don't recall a movie that long that has seemed so short. So it succeeds on that level, the level of keeping your interest going. Now, of course, there's never any doubt that Indiana Jones is going to survive all the problems that he encounters, that he's going to fight Nazis, because who else can they make the enemy in a movie these days? It has to be a Nazi, because every other group in society has some claim on our sympathy. So there is a kind of attempt to sidestep anything that might be controversial. Uh, an effort that isn't quite successful, in my view. And we'll talk about that in a minute, because that is one of the strengths of the movie, that it doesn't quite accomplish the goal of being anodyne and non-controversial. In fact, in my view, it manages to be one of the most timely movies that I've seen in a long, long time. But we'll talk about that fascinating aspect of the movie in just a couple of minutes. What about this CGI de-aging? That's a good question. In my opinion, what they've done, and I'm not sure about this because I'm no technical expert, but in my opinion, what they did, when the movie starts in 1944, they have to show a Harrison Ford who looks like Harrison Ford looked like in 1981 when he played a young man at the time of the Nazis. So they must have taken old film footage 
of Harrison Ford back in 1981, and with CGI or artificial intelligence, AI, they must have manipulated his lips and then dubbed the dialogue that was supposed to be in those lips with the modern Harrison Ford, because, of course, voices don't change as much as appearances do. But because they were tied to this old film footage from 1981, Ford appears to be wooden in these early scenes where he has been de-aged. We only see his face for about two or three seconds at a time, and he's really not doing very much. His emotions, as they are portrayed, because they are tied to this old film footage, doesn't quite seem to match up to the scene in which he's shown. But I have to say, because I was expecting to see this, and because I was, quite frankly, afraid of what I was going to see, I have to say that this is as well done as it can be. Yes, the scenes are somewhat wooden, but if you are not so critical, you will be impressed by how natural Ford does seem to be, although whether he's exciting in these early scenes is another story entirely. I don't think he can be quite so exciting when he has such a limited emotional range due to the limitations of uh, artificial intelligence and how it's used to depict a young Indiana Jones. Nevertheless, it's much better than I expected. And of course, the early scenes don't take that long. So after the credits roll, we get to 1969. And here's where the film gets really interesting because it takes place at the time of the moon landings in July and August 1969. In other words, when we see Indiana Jones in 1969, we see the old Indiana Jones, the present day Harrison Ford, and he is uh, creaking along in his apartment, and the Apollo astronauts are about to take part in a parade in New York City. And by the way, if I didn't make this clear, there's going to be some spoilers in this presentation, but I don't think any of the spoilers I've talked about so far are particularly serious ones. But at any rate, uh, Harrison Ford is old, but he is about to retire from his academic position that he's held since the very first Indiana Jones film. And there are all kinds of points being made by the movie in terms of the past's relationship to the future. Not so much in reality, but in our own minds. What is the relationship of the past and the future to our hopes and dreams today, to our expectations. Let's not talk about the real meaning of the past or the real meaning of the future. What's really important is what we make of the past and the future. And this is a very important subject for historians, and it's called the history of memory. And to talk about that subject, we would have to have another podcast or even a series of podcasts so I won't do that here, but I'll just illustrate what I'm talking about by describing the movie. Basically, what we have here is a contest between two characters. A Nazi who appeared in the 1944 sequence and was bested by Indiana Jones at that time, 
and Indiana Jones himself, but the two men have different perspectives on history. The Nazi, by 1969, wants to control history. He wants to use some magic device, in this case, an historic artifact from ancient history, very much like the historic artifact in the original Indiana Jones in 1981, but he wants to use this historical artifact from ancient times to allow himself to go back into the past and go back to 1939 so that he could kill Hitler, not because he hated the Nazis, but because this Nazi wants to do what Hitler failed to do, namely win World War II. So he has to use this device, this ancient device, to go back in time to 1939, kill Hitler, and then somehow wage the war against the Allies in such a way as to win the war against the Allies. All right. Now Harrison Ford finds out about this, but it takes the entire movie for him to do so. He knows about the ancient artifact, but he does not know what this Nazi intends to do with it. In fact, he doesn't seem to even know that this Nazi has survived until he finds out about it in 1969. Indiana Jones in 1969 does not want to control history. He wants to rise above history. He has been devastated by history, namely because he lost his son in a recent war, it appears to be Vietnam, it's not quite clear what that war was, but Harrison Ford has been deeply damaged by history. On the one hand, he admires the past. He wants to find all these ancient artifacts and place them into museums where they will help modern generations understand the past better. But on the other hand, the past has destroyed his life because as a result of his son's death in this unnamed war, which presumably was Vietnam, he and his wife, Marion, broke up and divorced. And therefore, Ford's entire life has been destroyed by what has happened in the past. So Ford's attitude towards the past is ambivalent. On the one hand, he thinks it's very, very important. And that's why he's an academic. He tries to teach his students about the past, and many historians can relate to that. And if he does find things in the past, he wants to place them in a museum, not make money out of them, like one of the characters in the movie, not like his goddaughter, who wants to make money off of ancient artifacts. So here you have this clash, but Ford also is dedicated to fighting Nazis. And here we have another Nazi who has not given up the ghost. And in 1969, he wants to steal this ancient artifact, not only to prevent it from going into a museum, but using it to help the Nazis change history and win World War II. And of course, Ford, as the epitome of all that is great and ethical and moral, has to stop him in his tracks. So that's a very interesting dichotomy. So Ford believes in the past. He's not looking to the future. And in 1969, when there's this parade in New York with the Apollo astronauts, there's this action scene in which Ford, as Indiana Jones, goes running through the parade on a horse. 
and disrupting the parade. And we actually see the Apollo astronauts scratching their heads as Indiana Jones goes racing by. A kind of flip-flopping of history. Everybody in the society seems to be focused on the moon landings and on the future and the wonderful technological future that the moon landings are bringing forth. And in Indiana Jones's classes, where he is, of course, Professor Henry Jones, his students are sleeping. They couldn't be more bored. They don't care about anything. And Ford is thoroughly disgusted. He's glad he's retiring. As a personal note, when the first Indiana Jones came out in 1981, I was just beginning my academic career as a professor of history. And I am still a professor of history today in 2023, but not for a whole lot longer. So (laughs) in that very simple, narrow, oblique, very, very tiny point of reference, I guess there is a minuscule parallel between my career and Henry Jones. But let me get to the heart of the point I'm trying to make. It's not just this one scene in 1969. What happens is that this Nazi, who is supported by the U.S. government because he helped America land a man on the moon, he was a Nazi scientist, and who is therefore allowed to have carte blanche in traveling around the world, paid for by the U.S. government, is someone who obviously has a double agenda, and of course his double agenda is to change the course of past history. But at one point, he interviews a black employee of a hotel who is a veteran of the Normandy invasion. And he asks this employee if the victory has been good for him. And of course, the implication is that the Allied victory was not very good for black Americans because they have not been able to achieve true equality even in the decades since World War II. So you have this Nazi asking this black American whether he really believes that his sacrifice in World War II at Normandy was worth it. And it's really uh, quite a heart-stopping moment because it makes people think. But of course, the black employee looks at the Nazi like he's crazy because he realizes, or he feels, as the movie has it at least, that the Nazi has it all wrong. Nevertheless, the Nazi, of course, is uncomfortably close to the truth, and it does again point out the complexities of memory. And I think that's one of the points that the movie is trying to get across. But let's itemize many of the other specific ways in which this tension between the past and the present and the future, as we recognize that tension, as we remember that tension, is on full display in this movie. And I'm thinking of the MAGA movement, which holds that America once was great, even though that great past was full of much evil. It was full of discrimination. It was full of racism. It was full of Jim Crow. It was full of lynching, segregation, unequal treatment of vast numbers of minorities. And yet the MAGA movement enshrines the past as some kind of golden age. 
totally blinded and blinkered by the endless forms of discrimination which existed in the past. And you see this parallel in this movie, although it sounds ridiculous because this is a cartoonish movie that is played for excitement and fun. And yet, there are parallels here because the Nazi is someone who looks back into the past as a glorious past, even though that past is full of Nazis like himself. And those Americans who support him, who use him to help fuel the race to the moon, also forget that he is at base a pure, unadulterated Nazi. They see him as the hope of the future. They forget what he really represents and what the past that he represents really means. What is true about the movie is that when it starts in 1969, what was really going on in the United States was something called the modern time regime, which was an attitude about life and society and technology that was not just confined to Americans, but which was a global attitude. And the modern time regime was that technology would save us and that the future was always going to be better than the past. The past was something to forget. The present was something to be glad of and to always have your eyes fixed upon. And that was the attitude in the United States for real in the 1960s, starting with the Kennedy administration, or really, it really started in the post-war era after 1945. At that time, people were trying to forget the horrors of World War II and the Great Depression and focus on the brilliant future that was supposed to be held out for all Americans. And so nobody wanted to remember the Holocaust, and nobody remembered the Holocaust until the 1970s, or really 1980s. And nobody wanted to remember the Great Depression, because that was a time of sacrifice. So after the war, people started having families, and they started to focus their attention on what was supposedly going to be a brilliant future for everyone. And that's the world of 1969 as portrayed in the movie. And it's not a false portrait. It's absolutely correct. That's the way Americans were looking at the future, hence the uh, excitement about the moon landings and what that seemed to beckon as the future course of the United States. Now, Henry Jones represents the viewpoint today. Jones, as an old man, is in sync with the time regime which we have today, and it's not the modern time regime. We have the cultural time regime today, or what might be called the identity time regime, where our minds about the past, present, and future are totally wrapped up with cultures, subcultures, and identities. We no longer look to the future as some kind of shining moment that must be better than the present. We have global warming that we have to worry about. We have authoritarianism that we have to worry about. We have superpowers in confrontation, particularly China, to worry about. We are not even sure that democracy can survive in this country. So, Many people are saying that this is the worst time in history to contemplate having a child. There are so many problems that we have, and we have a dysfunctional political system that can't even seem to 
touch these problems, much less solve them. So most Americans don't look to the future for anything bright and hopeful. Instead, they look back to the past because the past was the foundation for their identities, which they cling to so emotionally. And with the MAGA crowd, that goes double. They look at the past as a golden era. And if we could just restore the past where only white people had opportunity and everyone else was just ignored, then we would solve all our problems. That seems to be the MAGA approach. And in the movie, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the Nazis are essentially playing the role of the MAGA crowd. They want to go back to the past because even though it was evil, the Nazis, of course, are the epitome of evil, somehow you can reinterpret it to make it seem good in your eyes. And of course, the villain of the story sees it just that way, but also his American handlers who are using him to develop technology in 1969 also see him as the savior of the nation in the future. They're wrong. And Indiana Jones, or Harrison Ford, playing Indiana Jones, is trying to argue that the past is a place that needs to be viewed accurately. And in the most serious parts of the movie, there are some serious emotional parts of the movie, Harrison Ford speaks to the question of what the past means to him. And his goddaughter asks him, what would you do if you could go back into the past? Which past would you go back to? Would you go back to ancient Greece? Would you go back to ancient Rome? And Harrison Ford, as Indiana Jones says, I would go back to when my son was contemplating signing up for the military, and I would tell him not to. And she says, well, how would you do that? What would you do to stop him? And he says, I would tell him you will die. And then he explains that this death not only destroyed his son, but also destroyed his relationship with his wife. At least that was how it seemed to Harrison Ford at that time. So Ford believes that the past is a repository of much evil. And what he is in that moment is not a character that seems representative of our own time, but he seems to be a character who is representative of the accuracy of the relationship between the present and the past. The past is a repository of both good and evil. We can learn from the past. There are things that the past has contributed that we need to copy. And there are mistakes and tragic errors from the past that we need to learn from. And in that way, the past is valuable too, but only as a cautionary tale that we must take care not to repeat. So the past is a place of respect, but it's also a warning, and we need to treat it in both ways. And of course, the movie, by alluding to the MAGA movement in the character of the Nazi, who wants to restore the past, even though it's evil, is somehow working its way into the script. I don't know if it was deliberate. I don't know if there's something about a spirit of the times which influenced the screenwriters to adopt this approach. 
But the meaning of the story as it comes out, whether it's intentional or not, is that there are people, they're called teachers, they're called academics, they're called historians, who have the right idea right now in 2023 if people would only listen to them. And the right idea is that we must learn from the past, we must learn what not to do sometimes, we must also copy people who have faced the problems we've faced and overcome them, and we can get inspiration from them, but we can also create a new America for ourselves that's better than the past one. But only if we learn from both the best and the worst of the past, and not just go picking through the past like it's a buffet, and picking the worst of the past and trying to reproduce it in the present and the future. So Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, as a movie, as a form of entertainment, has its positives and negatives. Some people will applaud the movie and say it's one of the best entries in the Indiana Jones series, and some people will deplore the movie and say that it is a recycling of some of the most pedestrian features of the movies that came before it. And of course, there are some people who will object to the use of artificial intelligence and CGI to make it more of a techno-savvy movie than really the kind of movie that people have celebrated in the past. I don't know which of those two groups is correct. But what I do know is that there's an historical underpinning and a message about memory that is worth noticing. And I hope that after listening to this podcast episode, you too understand how true that is. Thanks for listening. That's it for today's episode of AudiblySpeaking.com. New podcast episodes appear on AudiblySpeaking.com approximately once every two weeks. Please subscribe to Audibly Speaking on iTunes or whatever podcast aggregator you enjoy. Until next time, this is Rick Ryman. Happy listening.